Welcome to the C3V podcast. It's so great to have you all here this morning. Um, I'm starting a new, uh, new little series that we're going to uh, just go over for the next couple of weeks. And my plan here this morning is kind of lay the foundation of that, kind of get a get kind of the heart behind it all, um, and then we'll just build on it over the next over the next couple of weeks. But uh, the title for this one is Heart. Heart for the house. Um, my main scripture is going to be from 2 Corinthians 8, 10 and 12 in the message. And it says, so here's, here's what I think. Here's what I think. This is Paul writing. The best thing you can do right now is finish what you started last year and not let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart, it's been in the right place all along. You've got what it takes to finish it up. To get to it. Maybe someone just needs to hear that today. You got what it takes. You got it. You've got it. So once the commitment is clear, you do what you can and not what you can't because the heart regulates the hands. The heart regulates the hands. That's really the main, that's the thing. If that's all you get today, if that's all you get over the next couple of weeks, I hope that that, that scripture can just sit in your back of your mind that the heart regulates the hands. The heart regulates. You know, we've been through uh, a pretty rough sea season uh, these past these past few, few years. Um, for like my generation, kind of ish, and you know, a little bit above, a little bit that haven't dealt with wars and things that are actually really tough. Um, it's been the toughest time um, that they've ever experienced. You know, and it, and it was a season where, oh, it was, it was just tough. It was tough mentally. It was tough spiritually. It was like people found themselves making bad decisions and bad choices, and they felt let down, and they've probably they've come out of it with regrets and doubts and all these things. It was kind of a season, especially for the church, it was, a, it was kind of a season where everyone was just offended all the time. It was like peak offense time. Like, if they, like you know, oh, how... How was COVID for you? I was just offended all the time. Two years, just offended. But it was funny what we were, especially as a church, what we were offended about. It wasn't even, it wasn't like big doctrinal issues. It was things like masks. It was things like spots on the floor, right? And, and, and wherever, you, wherever you stand on that, I, I, I don't think it matters. It's just kind of like, that's what got us off. Like that, you know, it's like, the enemy's going to come and he's going to deceive. It was like, no, he's just going to like get us to turn on ourselves because we put a dot on the floor. Like it was just a strange, strange time for for everything. You know, it was a time, and I don't think there's ever been a time either that there's been such great division um, across the globe. Right? Like at least at least when <laughs> that sounds so bad. At least when we had wars. That's not really what I meant, but that's how that came out. Um, people united around the cause and went to, like, it brought, in, in some essence, it brought countries and people together where this just seemed to divide and push us apart. You know, d- 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 division is just simply this. It's disagreement of two or more groups, typically producing tension or hostility. Yep. Yep, that's what that's what we saw. That's that's the correct definition of division. 
sim- similar words to division. Now, there's um, disunity, um, disunion, conflict, discord, disagreement, dissension. It's, a, it's, it's like every single word that is the opposite of you, unity is what division is. It's funny, it's like when Paul wrote, and well, well, they wrote about Paul, and they said the Jews, um, they came from Antioch, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, and they, drag, they dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. That's like how we united around that. We united as bringing, it was, there's never been an easier time to gather a crowd, and that's the season that we went through. This, it's like, the crowd to me is like faceless, name nameless, but it was those faceless, nameless people that they gathered together to throw stones at, at, at Paul and then basically just hoping he was dead. And that's kind of it. That's, that's how it is. Somewhere along the line, our, our assumptions of being right moved over out and, and outweighed mercy and grace and love. It was like, no, if I'm right, I'm going to throw. I'm going to be part of the right crowd and throw my stones, and hoping is supposing you were dead, right? And then, and not only that, not not only was there division. Division then pushed people into isolation. So not only were you were divided, then you were alone. And for certain personality types, being alone is like the worst state for them to be in. Like, this is what I've found, that you make your worst decisions when you're alone. By, by ourselves, we make poor choices all the time. There's things that you wouldn't have done if you were in community that you did because you were alone. So division pushed people into isolation. That's why one of the first things that God ever said was, it's not good for man to be alone. He looked, basically... Man's going to make some dumb stuff if I leave it just up to him. He's going to make some poor choices. You know, (laughs) I was going to make a terrible joke just then and the Lord saved me from a week on the couch. So praise (laughs) Jesus. It's like when Abraham was going through all that he had, like, God, you've promised me so much and I'm seeing so little. And God had to come to him and say, Abraham, get out of your tent. Like, get out of your own mind. Get out of this closed-in thinking. You need to stop. You're by yourself, locked up, isolated. Get outside and look up and see how big and how great and how wondrous I am because it's not good for you to be alone and you're not because I'm here with you. Like, get out of your, get out of your head. Paul had to say it to the Corinthians church. Like, set your mind on things above. Some say, set your heart on the things above. Like, stop getting, we get isolated and we get insular, but the gospel kindly said, no, look out, look up. Look, see the bigness of what I have done. Because the opposite of isolation is community and community is the church. The plan was always for us to be together. Not, not, Disunity, not discord, not pushing you out into... The, the gospel is not a solo journey. It never has been and it never will. It's always been about community because we're better together. 
And Jesus prays in John 17 is one of the longest prayers, recorded prayers of Jesus. And the overarching theme of this prayer is this. God, just let them be one. Let them come together. Let them join together. Let them walk together. Let them be one. It's almost like he knew what was coming. Let them be one. Don't let them be decisive. Don't, don't let them be a solo. It's not a solo journey up a mountaintop. It's together. It's community. You know, Ron Rockman says that we're one body. We're connected. We're, we're all in this together. And Jesus even said it like this. A house divided, it can't stand. A, heart, a house with division can't stand. You know, division really is just this. It's two visions. But a house connected and a house all in sync, a house as a community walking together, that's where great things happen. You know, God had to come come down at the Tower of Babel because he said, they're so united that there's nothing they can't do. Imagine if that was the church today, that people looked into the church and said, man, they are so united. They are all so on the same page. They are so connected. That is such a community. There's nothing that they can't do. We need to make church. We need to make church. We need to make church. Make. Yes. (laughs) Praise. Apparently the Tower of Babel happened here on my notes. Ah, We need to make community an indispensable part of your world. We need to make church an indispensable part. Not just church. We need to make his house. We need to have a heart for his house that's indispensable. We need to come back to his house. We need to commit to it. We need to serve it. We need to love it. You know, that's why they have to write things like, don't forsake meeting together. Like, come in. Be together. Be communal. I said at the other work. It's when we're together, when we're together at a table and we're communicating, we realize that we're not the only one going through things. Because isolation, and that's the devil's greatest ploy is this, that you're the only one. You're the only one who's going through that. You're the only one who made that decision last night. You're you're the only one whose family's always been like this. You're the only one. But when we get into community, we start to realize that we're all a bit messy. We've all made mistakes. And, the ch- and Jesus' church has never been about one of, pers- of perfection. It's always been one of persistence. It's one where we pick ourselves back up and we dust ourselves back off and we link arms and we walk together and we say, hey, you're, you're going through that? Well, I, wanna, I need to tell you that a few years ago I walked through that same thing and your story in, it gives someone else faith and hope and, a, okay, all right, and you... And you got through that? Yeah, I got, I got through that. It was, a, it was a tough season, but here's the thing. And, and what you went through, and this is what I think, that so much of what we go through isn't necessarily for us. It's for somebody else. It's to walk through and say, yeah, I made it. I got here. I was down. I was bankrupt. I was divorced. I, my, fam- my, 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 you know, my parents left me. My, whatever it may be, but here I stand today. 
here, I think, you know, for Paul, it was when I'm weak, I'm strong. When the things of life try to pull me back that say I'm not good enough to be here, I go, no, it's your grace that's sufficient for me, God. It's your grace that's sufficient. You know, there's plenty of reasons why I shouldn't be standing up here today, but his grace is sufficient for me. And I could go back through my whole history and my whole story, you know, growing up as kids, you know, parents splitting up, being a, you know, at one, at one time in my life, I was an only child, a middle child, and an eldest child all at the same time. We were, it's messed up, right? There's plenty of things. I've got, you know, if I take these off, I can't see. You know, my feet are so flat that I can't go to walk. You know, whatever. You know, uh, you know, blind, flat feet, you know, split up families, you know, I've got a speech impediment. There's plenty of reasons why I can't, shouldn't, not be up here today. But the Bible says that God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. And our outward appearance can be utter chaos and messy life, but God looks past all that and looks at the heart. See, we need to make his house an indispensable part of the life of the city. That's been our byline since day one. That we've just seen a season that made his house dispensable. But I believe right now we're moving into a season, it's a call to come home. It's a call to come back into his house. That in spite of what's happened over these past few years, now is the time. It's the great return. And my call for months has been this, that his house would be known as a house of redemption. That it doesn't matter what happened out there, that in here you will find him. He will talk to you. He will be the answer. His spirit will move you. His spirit will lead you. This is it. John the Baptist made a call like this. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, and we, and evangelists, whatever, they love that one. They're on that too. It's like the knock and the door will be open that I made fun of the other week. But, you know, this is another one. Repent, the kingdom of heaven's coming. But when that word repent literally means this. Change your mind. Just change your mind. You know, the kingdom, his house, allows people to change their mind. In this atmosphere, he can change your mind. I never thought I would ever go into a church. Now I serve every week. He can, he, the kingdom allows you to change your mind. You see, you see, this house needs to be a house of revelation, not just information. Because this is, this, this is what I know. A little bit of scripture applied is better than a lot of scripture known. Because you can know all this, but if you don't apply all this, it, it really doesn't help anybody. But you could take one verse out of this, and because his word is alive, and because his word is sharper than a two-edged sword, you can take one verse, and you could base your whole life off it, and you'd be different because of it, from just one verse. Because a little bit of applied is better than a lot known. You see, we don't have to have it all together before his kingdom can come into our lives. And as we move into this next season, we need to allow people the room and the space to change their mind. I've called it before a redemptive reset 
where you come in and God says, yeah, but my plan is redemption. See, redemption always wins. It always wins. No matter what we've walked through, redemption wins. But God, I, redemption wins. But God, you don't understand, I did, yeah, redemption wins. Yeah, but God, I really pushed the boundary, yeah, redemption wins. It's a journey and it's a walk, but ultimately, redemption wins. You see, we, and we pray prayers like this, your kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the kingdom comes through his people. And his people are the church. We are the agents that bring heaven to earth. In this, in this season of transition, very shortly we're going to have to be out of this wonderful space that has done so much for our church. But we know this, that the church is not a building. It's on a poster even over there. The church is not a building. His church is the people of God bound together by their relationship with Jesus. It's imperfect people serving a perfect God. It's a place where limited individuals become unlimited together. And you, you especially know this, if you have been with our church longer than five, five years, you know this, that the church is not a building. There's a book that was written about the church in Vancouver. And in that book is a quote from a guy that you might know. I think you've heard of him. Uh, his name's Graham uh, Fletcher. I think you've heard of him. He's, he's from Egypt. And... <laughs> He's on a camel. Uh, and he says this, I think probably our long journey has taught us that you cannot read the current circumstance as being the end of the story. You see, because we've met all over town and our church has thrived. We met at the Lonsdale Quay. Here you go, you're going to get a little history lesson. Let's see if I can remember them all. We met at the Lonsdale Quay for a number of years. And then we moved, actually, you know what, I'm going to line this with, I remember that the first meeting that we had here, that I had this scripture, that the works of his hands are faithful and just. And that has been our story, that he is faithful. You see, so we met in the Lonsdale Quay, and we were there for a number of years, and the church began to thrive and began to grow. So just when it thought, so just, because he's faithful and just, so we faithfully met there, and just when it felt like maybe this wasn't right anymore, we moved up the road a little bit to a place called Cheers. You know, come on, you want to say it, where everybody knew your name. <laughs> so there we met, and again, we thrived. People joined, people came, young people, our band was growing, everything was growing, and we were faithfully there. And then there became a time where we couldn't meet there anymore. And because he's faithful, just when we thought that we couldn't be there anymore, God made a way and we moved to Connections in the North Shore. Now that Connections required some setup. Woohoo! Tell you what. We set up stages and curtains and chairs and sound desks and all the things. It was all stored under um, a flight of stairs. And we met there. 
and things grew and we thrived and the church was not forsaking meeting together. They were all together in one place. And we grew. And then we thought, well, we're on the North Shore, but let's go, let's go to the other side. And really, that was the word that this early church was built on, that it was time to cross over and go to the other side. So we found a little studio. <laughs> he knows where this is going. Um, on the top of Grand Granville Street, on Grand Granville Rise. Now, I say studio in inverted commas because it was like a workout studio. Uh, well, you know, not... It was kind of before the times of yoga and those kinds of things. This is when people were trying to be cool, and being cool meant that you worked out on um, poles. You know, a pole dance. And this, and this was where the church met. But the church is not a building. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. And there we met. And people were saved. And people found God. Imagine that for your testimony. I was walking away, but redemption wins, and God found me in a pole dancing studio. Like, let's thank the Lord that for me it was like, you know, it was way better than I met him on a bus. <laughs> I was at work, and a friend, you know, they're easy ones. Imagine, and a pole dancing studio. <laughs> you know, this is that. But he's faithful and just, and just when it looked like that we couldn't be there anymore. God moved again, okay. Now, Pacific Palisades, and we're back downtown again. We've gone, no, that's right, because we're still at Connections. So Connections, but the word of the Lord was crossover. And so the church picked itself up, because the church is not a building, and moved, and we moved ourselves across and downtown, and there we met at the Pacific Palisades on Robson Street, which had its own adventures and parades going past and all the things. But the church is not a building. And then when there didn't work, we moved up. I think we moved up from there to Plaza 500, which was just down the road from here. Amazing space. And no joke, we were there for probably a month and then it got sold to a developer and they said, you've got to come out. You've got to get out of there. Like, come on, we just got here. But the church is not a building. And we moved down to Granville Street and the theatre down there. And then we moved to the uh, Metropolitan Hotel. And we thrived there and the church grew there. And then we moved to Cineplex. And faithful and just is the story of this church. Is that he is faithful. And just when it looks like things aren't going to work out, he's faithful. And just went and just, and then we went from Cineplex, and then we found here. And this has been like an arc that has got us through one of the most troubled times that this, that you know, the city had seen. But from here, the church still thrived. The church, the church was broadcast. The church was a, because it's not a building, it's a people. And we met, we met in homes. You know, you were there you, because it was community and it was together. And we thrived, and we thrived. You know, the verse that I've never, I haven't even got to yet, but in, in verse 10 there, it says, you know, the best thing you can do right now is finish what you started. Don't let good intentions go stale. You know, we can't just be a church of good intentions. 
that he's faithful and just. And as he's moving along, we need to make sure that we're not just one of good intentions. Well, I meant to do that. We meant to do it. Well, we meant, I meant to get you a meal, you know. I meant to, I meant, you know, my grandma netted me a sweater. And it is the sweater of good intentions. It, you know, I moved to uh, the Arctic, apparently, and she decided to knit me a sweater. I still have it at home. I didn't, I didn't bring it today. Uh, but um, my grandma either thinks um, that I'm an ape or it's a sweater of good intentions. You know, he will be cold and he needs a sweater, so I will knit. I have good intentions. But one arm is twice as long as what it should be, and the other arm is twice as wide as what it should be. Like, good intentions really don't help anybody. You know, my mum... No, I go... She might hear that. Anyway. You know, it's, it's just good intentions. Good intentions don't help a city. It's action. It's community. It's together. You know, our call is to be the church, and it's to love the church, and it's to serve the church. And it's to care for the church. That is the call that we face. You know, during COVID, Pastor Bill, he did a message saying that you were planted on purpose. I love that. It's like bloom. It's like Psalm 1. He's like a tree planted beside the river that brings fruit in season and out of season. When you're planted, that's where you bloom. That's where you grow. A seed that is, to- is planted and picked up and planted and picked up and planted and picked up will never grow. You see, and, but, God, but God plants, he doesn't bury. And we have to remember that you're planted and not buried. Because it can seem like, God, I'm here in your house and this is overwhelming. I feel like I'm just buried under circumstance and under life. God says, no, I need to keep you planted. You need to be in community. Don't rush off. Don't run out. Don't do it alone. Where you're planted, you're planted, you're not buried. For a seed to grow, there's actually a period of time where it needs dark darkness. And I don't know about you, but I've gone through some dark times and it's actually made my relationship with God better. It's like all of a sudden all the peripherals start to drop away and I realize what's important and important is just this connection. And even though I'm going through a dark time, it's like this relationship is better. And even in Wikipedia it says about um, a seed, like germination of a seed. It's thought um, initially darkness is required and later light is required for growth because you're not meant to stay in the darkness. There's a period where we burst up through that dark darkness, and then all we need is the light. Then we need him. God, okay, here we go. That's it. So your future, your dreams, your purpose, they can actually begin to form in the dark darkness. But when people get in the darkness, that's when they, that's when they run. That's when they leave. That's when they get out. It's like, no, that's when you need to stay. The Bible says that God shakes the earth to see what remains. And sometimes our worlds need a bit of a shaking to see what remains. You know, but this is what I know. The little that remains is more than enough for God. 
Whatever that little bit that you've only got less, that is more than enough for God to do what he needs to do. I said this a few weeks ago, but God, it, God, it doesn't take remarkable people to do great things for God. It takes remaining people. It takes people who stay planted, who stay the course. You know, we've got to remember too that you know, God says this, it's not you, it's me. You know, it's not you, it's me, is what God says. He says, who started a good work will complete it. Not you Not you need to, it's he will. And when we stay planted, we start to realize, you're right, God. It's not me, it's you. It's you who's going to help me through this time. I'm not going to be able to work my way out of this one. I'm not going to be able to come up with a clever strategy to get out of this one. It's you. And he says, I, won't, I didn't just start it, but I'll finish it. And that's the promise that we need to anchor ourselves onto, that he started it, he'll finish it. You know, we can stand on that for the church as we begin to move, as we move out of here, that he started this work and he'll complete it. That it's not a, it's not a strategy, it's not a good idea, it's, not, it's a God idea. We've been through a rough, a rough through years. However, now is a need to realign our principles over preferences. And I'm not talking about requirements. You know, there's been a lot of churches in the news because of the requirements that they've put on people. I'm not talking about requirements. I'm saying we need to, we need, our priority needs to be a heart for the house. Our priority needs to be a decision that says, okay, I'm for your house, God. I'm here. You see, nowadays, you can put a fan, fancy word on anything and it make, makes it okay. And so you see, like, sports players who decommit from teams. Like, okay. It's like, I made a commitment to, to you. Uh, now it doesn't work for me. So now I'm going to decommit. Like, that's a word. It's not a word. Anyway, we just make... We just make things. What if Jesus was in the garden and said, not your will, actually, you know what? Um, I'm going to decommit here. This doesn't quite work for me anymore. You know, this, is, this is a lot more than what I ever bar- bargained for. So I'm just going to decommit. Now, I think there's such, a, there's such a strong thing of when we stay committed to our commitment. We say, I made a commitment and I'm going to stay committed to it. For David made a commitment to care for his father's sheep, and even as he was being promoted into king, it says that he still took time to go back and feed his father's sheep. He stayed committed to his commitments. It's a biblical principle that helps build us, and that's what I'm I'm talking about, that it's it's not requirement, but it's a heart thing. It's a hard issue where we put God's house above things and we say, God, I'm going to make it a priority. I'm going to make it a place where I go. It, you know, it's probably going to mess with my pre- preferences a little bit. But Nehemiah, you, you know, the people said, let us rise up and build. Like, let's make a commitment here and now to the house. It says, so they strengthen their hands for good work. They just said, we're going to make a commitment. We're going to make it a priority. We're going to make it, we're just going to set things right. For Joshua said, you know, you pick. But for me, 
and my house will serve the house of the Lord. Right? That is my priority. You know, it's not the requirement. The requirement, that, that doesn't mean the requirement is that you're here every Sunday and you sit in the front row and you're yes and amen. Like, I'm not saying pressure, pressure, pressure. I'm saying we need to adjust our hearts. We need to realign our hearts back into one that is for his house. Because so many have got away. That, that a heart for his house would be restored. That the fire of your first love, like they talk about in Revelation, would be rekindled. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Like it says in verse 12 here, as I, we'll wrap, I'll start to wrap up. We can do this. But it says this, once the commitment is clear, you do what you can. Your commitment is clear, you do what you can, not what you can't. The heart, it regulates the hands. The Bible just talks about heart all the time. And it's all so, you know, it's more than it's like the modern thing. It's like, it's the heart is central. And, and through scripture, nearly every reference in the Bible about heart refers to some aspect of the human personality. It's what my heart, my heart, it regulates what I do. It's my heart that sets the course for what I'm going to do. All, you know, the Bible talks, all your emotions are experienced by your heart. Love, hate, joy, sorrow, peace, bitterness, courage, fear. It says that the heart can think, it can understand, it can imagine, it can remember, it can be wise, it can speak to itself. It makes decisions, it has purpose, it has intention. And all, and, and our will is an activity of the heart. It's our true character or personality. It's like it says purity or evil, sincerity or hardness, maturity or rebelliousness. The heart is the center, not only of our spiritual activity, but all operations of human life. That's why Proverbs says this, keep your heart with all vigilance. Protect your heart because your heart is what regulates and what I found is getting hurt is the easy part of church life. Getting over it is the hard part. And they're saying, no, no, guard, guard your heart. Protect your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. See, we talk about, you know, Dave David, like they did before. He was the warrior. He was, you know, he slayed Goliath. He was... We've got to remember that his story before that was one of being overlooked forgotten and it's so easy for us to be the one who's like away from the action you know doing all the work and pick up a bad attitude David stayed committed to his commitments and even as God's hand moved on him and as he promoted him up that's where he stayed Paul said to Timothy your your heart it's like my heart there's such a power when our hearts begin to align. And like I'm talking about, not about great strategies. Our heart isn't around that. Isn't around a great plan. Our heart doesn't need to be tied to a great vision that we have. Our heart needs to be tied to the heart of God. And like Paul said, when our heart, it beats with his heart, it's the same. Our heart is in alignment. Then because the heart regulates, my hands 
regulated by the heart of God. You know, calling is based, it's not based on skills. It's based on heart. And that's why, like I mentioned before, God says he doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And we've, we've confused charisma with character. We've confused people that look the part, but their heart isn't aligned. And that's led to things. But this, it's like, no, your heart regulates. Because out of your heart, the Bible says, your mouth speaks. So if I'm, if, if, I'm, if I'm hurt in my heart, that's what I will speak. If I'm bitter in my heart, that's what will come out. I don't want my hurtness regulating my hands. I don't want my bitterness regulating my hands. I put here, when our hearts are right, our thoughts and our words and our actions will follow. Because what you focus on where you go and if I'm focusing on my hurt if I'm focusing on my bitterness if I'm focusing all internal that's what will regulate my hands my hands will find themselves hurting instead of healing but here's the good news because we think that we that we can get that we can be so broken that his promises no longer apply to us Bible says that when we are faithless, He remains faithful. God can take your heart out of a place of brokenness, out of a place of hurting, and He can place it back into the midst of His promises. And we see that all through the Old Testament. The Israelites battled with this thought and this concept that my heart is just not in the right place. That what I want to do, I'm not doing. That that we just can't seem to find ourselves right. The Bible said this, that, that the heart is sick. Genesis, it says that every thought that was in their heart was evil. Man, I don't want to be in a place where that's what regulates me. My God, I can't, I can't do that. I've got to get my heart right. And they thought it was going to be through a lot of, you know, of strategies, of um, ceremonies, of sacrifices, that that was going to be enough, that if they could just sacrifice enough cows, it would make their heart better. God says, look, I, this isn't, this isn't going to work. Jeremiah said, give us an undivided heart. Let our heart beat with the heart of heaven, God. Let that be it. And in Ezekiel, he says this, I can, I'm going to take out your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. So this morning, my question really is this, how's your heart? Through this season, on the other side of this season, how's your heart? There's a famous comedian who says this, check your heart. And maybe this is that moment. That as we begin to prepare for what God's doing next as a, uh, as, as God prepares us for people coming into his house, for broken, hurting, hard-hearted people coming into his house, where is our heart at? Is our heart aligned with his heart? Is our heart 
regulating our hands? Is that where it maybe this morning we need a little bit of open heart surgery? That God can come in and say, Yeah, you know what? I know it's been tough. I know it's hard. But this morning, He can take out that heart of stone and He can replace it with a heart of flesh. Why don't you stand up this morning? Let's just turn our attention to Him. You know, in Romans it says, God poured His love into our hearts. So this morning, it's really an internal thing. I can't see where your heart is at. <laughs> we definitely don't need to declare where our heart hearts are at. But in this atmosphere, in this presence, in his house, how's your heart? Is it hurting? Is it broken? Is it does it feel divided? Does your heart feel isolated? How's your heart? And maybe if it's not where you want it to be, maybe now in this moment, it's a great time to say, God, I just need you in my heart. I need your presence. I need your spirit. Like we were singing before, I need your breath. Come in and restore, restore our hearts for your house. God, whatever preferences that we've been putting in above it, God, I pray that there would be a returning to your house, a returning to your priorities, God. But I pray that in this moment, it's a time that hearts can change their minds. I don't know, like your heart might have been hurt a long time ago. I'm talking about like maybe your heart was hurt when you were a child. And we're talking years you've been trying to juggle a hurt heart, but God's saying, no, I can take that heart of stone and I can give you a heart of flesh. Your heart may have been hurt on the way here this morning in the car when you fought the whole way. But this is the moment right here when a heart can change its mind. This is the time when a heart can come home. I believe that's the call that God's saying to his house. If you can get a heart for my house, it's a house that's for the lonely. And it's for the hurting. And my house is one for the disheartened. And my house, it's one for the broken. And my house, it's one for the confused. And my house, it's, it's one for the ashamed. My house, it's, it's one for the isolated. Maybe this for my house, it's just one for the heartbroken. This morning, redemption. Thanks for listening to the C3V podcast. To find out more about our church, visit us at c3v.ca.